1: Welcome to the Heart of Innovation. 60 minutes that could save life and limb. With new breakthrough ideas and innovation changing the healthcare landscape. Brought to you by patient advocacy group, thewaytomyheart.org. In partnership with Cardiovascular System Incorporated's patient advocacy campaign, Take a Stand Against Amputation. Here are your hosts for the Heart of Innovation Emmy award winning journalist and founder of The Way to My Heart, Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist and founder of the Save My Piggies Health Education Series, Dr. John Phillips.
2: Hi everyone, and welcome to the show. A lot of our episodes really revolve around a debilitating disorder called peripheral artery disease, which is a circulation issue caused by plaque buildup, mainly in the leg arteries. And the reason that we talk a lot about this particular disorder is because it is becoming more and more prevalent. Whether or not a doctor diagnoses it is a whole other story and part of the problem, which is why you may not know about it, but it does impact one in five people over the age of 60. And you would know if you are, you know, experiencing the leg cramps, some numbness in your legs, leg pain, Um, that can really indicate that you might have peripheral artery disease and you should get checked. But one of the best forms of medicine is simply walking. So later on in the show, we're going to talk all about the right way to walk, why walking is important, and whether or not other exercise formats can actually help you with PAD. And we have some researchers that are going to be joining us. But first, hey, John, it is so good to see you. I love seeing you every week.
3: Oh Kim, you're so sweet. Happy Happy <laughs> Saturday. Uh, hope Hope you're doing happy well. Saturday. Evidently, you're in London.
2: Yes, I mean, Bye. how could it not go well? I'm at the Find Your Rhythm Algorithm Conference by Dr. Lorenzo Petrone, and it's just one of quite a number of conferences where they talk about peripheral artery disease and advanced tools and techniques for unclogging those arteries that lead to the feet. So lots of Great discussions
3: here, so yeah, it should be yeah I, I imagine I imagine there's a, a lot of um, discussion about what to do from an interventional standpoint, but I think today, if I got the notes correct we 're going to be talking about non interventional ways or non invasive ways to potentially treat this chronic disorder, um, part of as we 've mentioned in multiple shows, we discuss. A walking program and really kind of put a lot of emphasis on patients who have peripheral arterial disease walking as much as they can to kind of help build what we call collaterals or bypass vessels to allow for improved blood flow and less pain. But this is kind of a chronic debilitating issue for some people. In fact, this morning I got a consult from a gentleman who he's trying to work. He has blockages in multiple areas. And um a lot of the kind of like the litmus test for our patient's ability to ambulate, it, it centers a lot of times around going to the grocery store or whatnot. And in this small town that I get referrals from, they only have a Walmart. And so it's I'll hear like, okay, they can walk half the Walmart or a third of the Walmart or the whole Walmart. And that is my kind of like guide for, all right, well, maybe we can manage them conservatively or do we need to be a little bit more aggressive? But on on the um, heels of this kind of being a chronic illness, um, hopefully my inspirational quote or several sentences of quote will will be a benefit for our listeners.
2: Oh, fantastic. So... It's time.
0: Dr. John Phillips, spectacular, vascular
3: moment of inspiration. Indeed it is. So I was kind of looking through some quotes about chronic pain because I I think as we progress in the show, um, we're going to discuss some alternative ways to potentially help people that have have pain from P.A.D. But I found this this quote in several sentences from a researcher at Stanford by the name of Sean Mackey, uh, who's an MD, Ph.D. He gives a lecture called Pain and the Brain. And uh, in part of the lecture, he's, he's quoted and saying, and again, there's several sentences. So um, forgive me. But he says, getting up each morning, we can reflect on how we can't be certain if the day will unfold as we think it will, and then resolve to greet it nonetheless with curiosity and wisdom. Greeting the day with curiosity means being interested in what each moment has to offer, and greeting it with wisdom means not turning away an aversion from our experience, even if it's unpleasant, and even if it's not what we had hoped for. Which I always think is interesting, because you wake up, and you have plans for the day, and then the plans get derailed because life happens. And um, a lot of times, folks that have peripheral arterial disease or any other chronic illness, it's hard to get out of bed sometimes. But I think the fact that you can just get out of bed, lace up the, the boots, bootstraps, and, and get out there and do something is a victory in my book. And hopefully today we will learn from our colleagues across the pond about alternative ways of potentially treating peripheral arterial disease.
2: Right, I mean as as you know, most people with peripheral artery disease absolutely never need a procedure at all. It they really do need to walk. Walking really is the best medicine to improve the circulation and relieve a lot of the symptoms of leg pain neuropathy as well as the leg cramps. But I, I really like your quote because we have an after show to the Heart of Innovation, which you have to go to thewaytomyheart.org forward slash one step away to get details on how to log into um, that particular after show. But a lot of times during that after show, which is hosted by one of our PAD warriors, as we call him, Douglas Salisbury, and also legendary Harlem Globetrotter. Um, Larry Shorty Coleman, who has had one leg amputated and we've saved the other. But one of the th- mantras for him and for Douglas is you just got to take one more step. You have to wake up in the morning and you have to say, you know what? Thank you for giving me life today. Thank you for allowing me to take a step. And I'm going to take one step. And then that's going to lead to another. So it's just one step at a time.
3: truly is, you know, as they say, a journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step.
2: It does. And (laughs) let's take the next step and let's introduce our researchers from Scotland who are joining us really, really late in their their evening. We have Chris Seenan and we have Daniel Tabaldi. And I'll let them just each just tell us about what you do and um, and what your research is. We're going to start with Chris.
4: Okay, hello. Um, hello, everybody. Thank you very much
2: Welcome.
4: for, for Welcome. having me this evening, or this evening for us over here. Um, so, yeah, um, my name is Chris Eden. I'm a... Uh, a senior lecturer or what you might well call a professor um, in physiotherapy and uh, physiotherapy what you may call physical therapy Um, and so I'm based at Glasgow Caledonian University in Glasgow in Scotland and um, as you mentioned my research interest is within peripheral arterial disease and specifically um, focused around interventions that look at addressing the pain um, experienced during, um, during walking and encouraging increasing and increased physical activity and, and that behavior change around physical activity. So that's, uh, that's me. Thank you for having me today.
2: Thank you, Chris and Daniel.
5: Hello, so my name is Daniel Antibaldi. Uh, I'm also joining from Scotland, as you heard. Uh, I'm a doctorate student in physiotherapy um, here at Glasgow Caledonian University. Um, much of my research revolves around um, intermittent collocation and its self-management strategies. Strategies uh, that I've looked at over the course of my research. Um, I'm not as experienced as Chris and in research yet, but this will be my first systematic review that I'm going to p- publish uh, eventually. Yes.
2: Fantastic, and we can't wait to hear all about it. So, coming up right here on the Heart of Innovation, stay with us. We have more with Chris and Daniel from Scotland, and we're going to be talking about exercise and how to improve your circulation. So, stay with us.
1: Welcome back to The Heart of Innovation. For more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy Award-winning journalist, Kim McNicholas, and interventional cardiologist, Dr. John Phillips.
3: Welcome back, everybody. Thanks for joining us. We are super stoked to have two researchers in, I guess, what we would consider physical therapy here in the U.S. uh, from Scotland, discussing kind of alternative methods for treating intermittent claudication or kind of that discomfort that patients get with peripheral arterial disease when they ambulate after a certain distance. And before we went to the break, we had just got to to meet Chris and Daniel, and I think we'll just you know kind of continue as we were. So, Chris, ta- tell us a little bit about how you got into looking at peripheral arterial disease as as a physical therapist, right? And then ultimately doing some some research in um, tens or kind of that electro, you know, that transcutaneous stimulation.
4: Yeah, absolutely, no problem. So my my interest in peripheral arterial disease really stemmed from the pain aspect as I mentioned so it was um in in my practice and and when I was uh, practicing as a physiotherapist um pain was one of these things that I was just really interested by um in lots of different conditions about kind of how we experience it and what it does to to an individual and how Prevent some people from doing things that they, they want to do so were I was you
2: dealing with a lot of people who had PAD I know pad is is pretty prevalent but it's very rare when I have a physical therapist here in the U.S. say oh yeah I deal with these pad patients all the time were you dealing with a lot of these patients
4: yes I was and I think that is it might well be due to the kind of the the slight difference between a physical therapist in the US and a physiotherapist in the UK. So in the, in the UK, a physiotherapist, um, we kind of, Perhaps well, my understanding is that we do slightly more of the vascular, cardiovascular, and res- and respiratory aspects. So that was I was working on respiratory wards and vascular wards, and so therefore I was seeing people before um, surgery, post surgery, and, uh, and 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 that was where I got my first experience of seeing people with claudication with uh, with peripheral tears. Fantastic.
2: You end up putting two and two together with the TENS device and PAD and thinking that that might help a person because one of the issues patients have is as they're walking, they start to get, because of that restricted blood flow that is starving the muscles, the tissues, they start feeling the cramping in their legs and their feet and such. And you decided to put a TENS device on these patients to see if it would help improve their walking distance by relieving that cramping feeling.
4: Yeah, that's exactly right. And it was interesting. It was from my undergraduate degree so when i first studied physiotherapy and we were we were doing a project where we, we, we would get students um, unsuspecting volunteers into the lab and we tie a blood blood pressure cuff around their thigh and pump that blood pressure cuff up so it basically reduces the blood supply to the lower limb and then get them to do exercise to induce this pain so the reason we were doing that that kind of level of what you may consider torture to, to I guess you, you
2: don't have very many friends anymore.
4: <laughs> <laughs> no, no, not many people liked me after after I did that to them. Um but it was was to study the pain experience. So we're really interested in and also this was the one of the this is called an experimental model of pain. And so it was a way that you can test interventions on pain. So I was doing this with individuals and we were testing tens and oh tens works to reduce this pain in these healthy individuals and then I think well wait a minute this is the same thing as as is happening in my clinical population where there's a lack of blood supply to the leg perhaps TENS might work for these people too. Sorry to interrupt could you just
3: tell the audience what TENS what that what the acronym stands for and, and what exactly it does what it's been proven to do in folks with chronic pain so we get a little bit better understanding of why it might help with these folks that have PAD.
4: Yeah of course no problem so TENS stands for Transcutaneous Electrical Nerve Stimulation. Um, And what it describes, and it, and it, it kind of does exactly as it says on the tin, really. So transcutaneous means across the skin. And then alert, electrical nerve stimulation just indicates it's electrical current that's stimulating the nerves. So what happens is that you, with a TENS device, it's a small kind of um, about, uh, about this would sort of fit in your pocket kind of size device. Um, and then it's attached to the body through electrodes, which stick onto the skin. And then current is passed between these two electrodes. What it does and the way that it works is that 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 the electrical current which passes over the skin is perceived by the body and by the brain as a tingling sensation. So you get this kind of feeling of tingling or, or kind of um, pe- kind of pin the needles type thing where you have the tens on. And the theory and the way the, how it works is that tingling sensation overrides the pain sensation. So you put the device on the body so if it's for for when it's in pad it's over the leg if it's on back pain it's over the back and you put it wherever you're feeling that that pain and it uses a mechanism called the pain gate theory and which means the body focuses it can only focus on one pain or one feeling at a time and it it, and so your brain perceives the tingling rather than the painful stimulation cool and so you conducted this
2: research you decided that hey, this is something, there's something to this. It's working on these, you know, people who are no longer friends anymore. Um, And so now I'm going to take all of my work and what I discovered, and I'm going to apply this to vascular patients. So you created this formal study. And um, what did you find out?
4: Well, yeah, well, what we found out was that TENS works. And So in a very controlled environment, so uh, it was... On a treadmill with people with PAD, we we asked people to walk on a treadmill to induce their pain. So it was on these treadmill tests where the, the gradient increases every every two mm-hmm. minutes. We did a test with once with no tens and once with a tens machine, and the people walked further with a tens machine. So that was uh, that was what we found.
3: So Chris, d- did you find that this was an adaptive? I guess response or maybe the, the, did they get, were they able to walk longer, the longer they had the Thames on, or was it kind of a, you know, you, you wore the Thames and then you got another, I don't know, 30 or 40 feet and that was kind of it. Or could you build on it? I guess.
4: Well, we didn't actually test that in the study that we did. And that would, that's where we're what we're looking at now. So we're doing further studies now to see if, if you have the TENS, because they only had the TENS on that one time on the treadmill. Oh, so I our, see. So
3: this was just kind of proof of concept.
4: Exactly. That was a level out in quite small numbers. And just basically to find out, does this work? And we have subsequently done another study where we, we gave... Uh, people the TENS device home to use for six weeks, and we we looked at you know how far they were walking at the start and how far they were walking at the at the end of that six weeks to see what happened.
3: And then this is how you hooked up with Daniel.
4: Well, yeah. So Daniel is is on our our, our DPT program at our university, and uh, he was very fortunate enough to be allocated to me as a as, as a supervisor. And so what we were what what Daniel's been looking at is. A bit wider than tens because what we've identified is tens is useful but it's not it's not the only thing. You know, there needs to be there, there needs to be more. It's a useful addition you can add to your walking. But what else helps you manage this condition and, and walk for and that's what Daniel's been looking into.
2: And it's not that the TENS device actually improves your condition. It's a catalyst, right, for getting you to walk further without as much pain that would stop you so that your body will continue to have that response to grow collateral vessels, which we haven't really gotten into that part yet. So I want to hold that thought. Let's start the next segment there and talk about why walking is important and then how this TENS device supports that whole process so stay with us right here on the heart of innovation as we continue this very powerful conversation
6: three years ago my symptoms started with leg pain and leg cramps while walking
4: me too with a tightness in my calves well do you know my doctor thought that my leg cramps were a side
2: effect of the statin he prescribed me
6: well my doctor just brushed them off as another symptom of old age
4: mine thought the pain was radiating from my spine
6: My doctor blamed my neuropathy on diabetes until I got a wound on my foot that just wouldn't heal.
4: Yeah, it turns out we all have peripheral
6: artery disease, also known as PAD. It's plaque buildup, mainly in the leg arteries causing poor circulation. For me, the diagnosis came too late and I lost my leg, but that does not have to happen to you. No,
3: it does not because there are treatment options available if you're diagnosed early
2: enough. P.A.D. Life and limb could depend on it.
1: Welcome back to The Heart of Innovation. For more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips.
3: Welcome back, everybody. We're continuing our conversation about alternative ways to get people to walk a little bit in the setting of really significant peripheral arterial disease and and the symptom of claudication. And and Chris was just kind of explaining their proof of concept using the TENS device to, I guess, I, I don't know, is it is it tricking the brain a little bit to allow you to walk a little bit further? But when we talk about, when I counsel patients with respect to a structured exercise program, and here in the U.S., we have what's called cardiac rehab so if someone's had a heart attack or bypass surgery or something they can go to go to a facility structured exercise program it's covered by their insurance and we also have that for peripheral arterial disease now there are a lot of roadblocks in getting folks to enroll in that one of which is cost sometimes another is just proximity because a lot of our patients live in rural areas where they don't have the opportunity to actually go to some place to exercise and so when i talk to them I'm, I'm always reminding them, Hey, just kind of get out and walk. And, you know, easy for me to say that I don't have the PAD, but oftentimes I am counseling them to walk until your leg starts to cramp or you're, you're getting that aching heaviness and then walk a little bit further. And then you have to rest and keep going. I have several patients who time how much they're able to walk and they are able to show incremental increase in their walking distance which I think creates a positive feedback loop for these folks but you guys are are taking it taking it a step further to try to help develop these what we call collaterals or kind of these um, kind of quiescent vessels that 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 aren't called upon unless there's a significant blockage right yeah
4: that's that's exactly right and that and that's that's the theory in there and, and our and our idea of how tens might work. And so it's just what we, what we realised, and we'd, we'd, we'd done a couple of uh, systematic reviews and, and some other studies exploring, well, why do people not walk, you know, when they have pad, and what are the barriers, um, and what are the enablers? And it, and it was exactly, as you say, it was kind of that, um, the pain, the kind of the lack of motivation was, was one of these key barriers, and we thought, and that was why we thought, well, if we can use TENS, TENS reduces or at least makes the experience not quite as horrific as it, as it normally is, maybe this would help. Maybe people would, would walk a little bit more. So TENS itself isn't the thing that's, that, that you know, that's that's particularly fixing or helping the condition, but it's an enabler to kind of help, help do
7: the walking.
2: You bring up a really good point in terms of the, the whole desire to walk. And I think part of um, the research that you've been doing, and I think I'd like to bring Daniel in at this point as well, is you're focusing on that education point because, you know, in some of the research that I've read from, you, you both is is you've had patients that have actually said, "I just didn't understand why walking was important." You tell me walking is medicine, and to go ahead and walk, and that somehow, some way, my symptoms are going to improve. But I just don't believe you because I feel this horrible pain that feels like I'm going to hurt myself or I'm making things worse. But when you sit down and you explain the why and the how is that what you found really helps the patients Daniel do you want to jump in
7: yes absolutely
5: um I think the education element of it and just giving the patients the confidence and reassurance that the, the plan that they've they were given by the clinician actually is very helpful and just knowing for sure that if pain arises through walking, um, it's okay to push through it. They're not going to hurt themselves anymore. I think having that reassurance is very beneficial because a lot of the qualitative studies I looked at throughout my research, um, you know, these studies stated that patients were scared that something more sinister will happen to them if they carry carry through with the pain. Um, but that's that's just simply not true, and and. Giving them the confidence and the reassurance, I think, is is very important. Um, throughout the studies I looked at,
2: can you so pretend that you know I'm a patient, or we even have, um, we even have. Hey, Douglas, we have a patient that actually is calling in right now. Douglas, say hello. I want you to convince. So you know, Douglas has to walk every day. He has P A D, right? Douglas, you have P A D. Yes. And you struggle with walking.
6: Yes, I have. How part of it? It, depending on the days, and sometimes it's a hundred steps. It's going, sometimes I can't go to the mailbox.
2: And so, Daniel, can you, t- you know,
3: yeah, if, if I Douglas. could
2: just,
3: Yeah, I, I, this is going to be awesome, but if I could just say one thing just to plant a little bit of a seed, because a lot of patients will tell me exactly what Douglas says. Some days I'm good. Some days I'm bad. I yeah. get a lot of you know walking on a treadmill is okay but walking on concrete hurts i get a lot of you too in, any incline is really um is is bothersome but i can walk on the grass i mean it, it's so variable and i guess i don't necessarily understand why it's different for folks. And and hopefully, you know, you guys can can help us. But sorry, I just needed I wanted to say that because it's just so variable what what patients can do on a day to day basis. And I think that ultimately affects their motivation sometimes to to push push through it.
2: I agree. And I'd like to get into that as as well. But let's let Daniel, do you want to jump in?
5: Yeah, sure. I mean, it's a good point that John raised about, you know, having different days. Uh, some days it hurts more, some days it doesn't. Um, I would look at that as any regular workout, to be honest. Some days the body's just not feeling it and you, you won't be able to do the same number of sets. Um, or some days it's going to hurt more. Um, it's okay. Um, it's sort of like just being aware of it that, okay, well, this is what my body was capable of today. Record it. And then hopefully work on it, increase the steps next time. And there's going to be a day when, when you know, you'll be able to push through and achieve your target. But it's important to set smart goals. Um, but also being aware that some days it won't go your way and you won't be able to achieve. But it's important to have like a structure. And that that's something that I got from many research I read, where a structure in, in a walking plan is very important.
2: And so if you're talking to Douglas and Douglas is saying, "Hey, yeah, I it's really a struggle for me to walk. Some days I walk some days I don't. How would you educate him? How would you in the, how did you in that research program convince those those patients to do it with the how and the why?
6: Cuz some days it's more the mental health than it is the physical for me dealing with the pain. I can
5: maybe um... I'll go on, Daniel. You want no, you can go, Chris, if you want.
4: Yeah. I was just gonna say if you're so if you're specifically, we we referring to we just uh, completed this study of of education. So we we did a group education session um, to see if it would help people in this exact in, in this exact situation. And one of the things that we used we used it was just as you described there, I think John and um, the you're sharing that kind of experience. So the or someday, if I use this type of shoe, I can walk a wee bit far, further. If I'm walking on grass, it goes a little further, or it, and so on and so forth. And I think helping, and that, that group element of the education and a bit of those sharing of stories really helped because it made people feel, all right, this is normal, this is okay. It isn't something different and wrong about me and, and something that's that's going on. The other analogy we used, and this specifically related about the pain, was the analogy of a, of a crying baby. So your muscle is a bit like a crying baby in terms of, so, you know, a baby cries when it needs something, okay? But it doesn't, when it cries, it doesn't mean it's hurt or it's in pain, it's just it doesn't have any other way of communicating what it needs. And so it's a bit like your calf muscle, you know, when it's sore, it's just trying to tell you something. It's not that it's hurt, it's not that it's in danger, it's not that it's, it, it, it's, it's, having, it's harmed, but it's just I need more oxygen. And, and why, why am I not getting enough oxygen nutrients in the, in the blood? So that was another thing I think people really hooked on to and said, well, oh, that reassures me a lot. And now I can understand why it's okay to walk into that pain a bit further.
2: Ah, that's it. I'd never heard that analogy before. I had heard the one where, um, it, it, one that's more towards you know you're out there with your trainer and the trainer says just give me one more rep just give me one more rep and you're like oh no i think i'm gonna fall over i can't give you one more rep and you're like just feel the burn feel the pain you got this and then you just pull it up and that's one more rep but it's for patients to understand it's right then and there when your body is building those collateral vessels correct
4: yeah, and that, that's what the research suggests, and it's walking to, into that pain. So as you mentioned earlier, if you stop just before you get to that pain, it's likely that you might not be getting quite the same level of benefit from that walking activity. So if you can push into it a wee bit further, and therefore for us, if TENS can help you push into it that wee bit further, then that's great.
2: And coming up right here on the Heart of Innovation, we're going to continue this conversation. We have a few uh, callers that are calling in that we want to get to as well. So stay with us. We have more with Chris and Daniel from Scotland talking about exercise and improving your circulation. So stay with us. Medical notepad brought to you by Cardiovascular Systems Incorporated's Patient Advocacy Campaign. Take a stand against amputation and the weight of my heart.
7: Hi, this is our sister vascular surgeon from Spin. So I think today we can talk about revascularization in when it's indicated or what to do and uh, what sort of patients are, are best uh, target for every a specific uh, treatment. And I think the first thing that you need to keep in mind that medical treatment is usually the best option. And when I think about medical treatment, I'm talking about uh, anti-aggregation like aspirin or clopidogrel, And also uh, trying to uh, keep your uh, lipids lower. So talking about statins or whatever. So also the most important thing is just to keep on walking. Walking is uh, the best medical treatment you can get. Because by walking, you will increase your collaterals and this will maintain your uh, foot alive. Because the main issue is like when you need to treat a blockage. And the answer is a blockage is not the indication. You can have a 100% blockage uh, below the knee, but you may probably be uh, free of symptoms. And I'm not talking about pain on your calf, pain on your cla- claudication, you know that. Is not an indication for any infrapoplita uh, revascularization. For these sort of patients, uh, the treatment is uh, to keep on walking and to uh, control your risk factors because we know that if you are a clotheca, you are not in risk of losing your leg. So when are you true risk of losing your leg? When you have pain, rest, rest pain, or when you develop ulcer stone. Ulcers or heal ulcers. so that's the exact point where you will need a revascularization. And again, it has nothing to do with the degree of the, or the percentage of blockage you have on your arteries. So, if you rise to this state, or you when you have uh, uh, breast pain, or you have ulcers on the toes on the knee, definitely we need to choose what is the best treatment for you, the best surgical treatment. And you can either choose endovascular or a bypass, and it will all depend on three important aspects. First one, what is your physical condition? If you are feeling up for a bypass, this is a good and durable option. The second one is if you have a good conduit, if you have a breath vein, I'm sure you all have heard about all of these bits bes trial, which has proven that if you have a good vein, this is a good, durable option. Sometimes this is not the case and you probably don't have a good pain or you are not fit enough. And for this, you need an endovascular treatment. But keep in mind that to get a good endovascular treatment, you need to have a good uh, physician to perform uh, your treatment. And this is not usually or it's not always the case. Uh, I'm really concerned about all of these patients that ended up in a major amputation without having even having are uh, the same to know if they have a vessel to be treated. So, first thing to keep in mind, just keep on working. Second thing, once you get to this stage of having breast pain or any ulcer, just look for a physician that is going to look after you. Look for the, the, the good physician and never ever accept that amputation, uh, before having an angel. Uh, and if you, you don't get an angel from your physician, look for a second opinion. I think probably this would be. Uh, generally speaking, a good approach for these sort of patients.
2: Remember, the advice and views offered during this series are for informational and educational purposes only. Always ask your own healthcare provider for explicit consent before acting on any information provided here. If you want more information on peripheral artery disease, go to standagainstamputation.com. And for real time support, go to org.
1: Welcome back to The Heart of Innovation. For more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips.
3: Welcome back, everybody. We're continuing our Conversation about uh, treating peripheral arterial disease, particularly walking and some alternative therapies as opposed to going right to procedures. One of the questions in the audience uh, is, surrounds a medication called Cilastazole or Pletol. Uh, that medication has been shown in clinical trials to improve walking distances in patients. And uh, basically, it, it kind of helps prevent the platelets, which are the, the little... Parts of the red blood or the in the blood that kind of can cause some um, clotting uh it kind of helps them from sticking together, but it also creates what we call v- vasodilation and so dilates the vessels and allows um, folks to walk a little little bit further um, but yeah i mean that's that's a medication that we use very regularly uh, there's a couple of patients uh, who have certain heart problems, heart failure issues who can 't use it, but a lot of patients. I would say half the people that I use it in do get some benefit and improve walking distance. The other half don't, don't tolerate it. There's a lot of issues with GI upset and uh, fast heart rates, but it's a good medication. And um, sometimes we actually use it too to prevent narrowing within a stent that, that has been put in. There's, there's some data to suggest that uh, jumping back into our conversation though. And I think this is critical. And we were talking about this during the break, the whole notion Chris and Daniel of information sharing and developing a community around the peripheral arterial disease treatment options, particularly walking programs, or maybe we'll get to in a little bit other alternative means of exercise for those who can't, can't walk, but share with us how you guys are developing all this information sharing. Is it, is it uh, more automated, like using mobile apps or is it actually kind of getting people together and face to face and having conversation?
4: Well, the main way that we've done it to date is face to face and in conversation. So we we have been have just completed a trial which we call the the prepaid trial, and the and the, uh, the essence of that trial is we were looking at does would group education so getting a small group of people with PAD in a room um, and to talk about their condition and learn about their condition, um, would that help increase walking? And, and what we found that is that uh, the people who were involved in that study really enjoyed that element of getting in the room together. And the, the way that the education, it was quite structured education and, and based on um, the the kind of current education used within diabetes. So there's a Desmond program that's used in diabetes. And, and, this, um, and so what the, the essence of that was that people would come to the room, they would share their story of diagnosis, share their story of their daily walking and, and their challenges they experienced and uh, talk to one another, and through that, find out that they are not alone, that they are, that, that other people experience the same issues that they, they do. <clears throat> they gain tips from each other in terms of, oh, have you tried this? Have you tried that? What oh, about no, this?
2: And was there any sort of um, preconceived, like, um, facilitation that you planned to ensure that it didn't become a misery loves company? versus an inspirational motivational there's there's a a, there are two ways that it can go how did you prevent the misery loves company versus the inspirational and motivational was it strategic and had you thought about that ahead of time
4: yeah, that's a really good point and I think what the, the way we dealt with that is we had some very skilled and trained facilitators who you know um and and the the education session is very strictly kind of organized and 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 it has a full curriculum that they do so the program that we used is called the Cedric program which was developed by other researchers both from the the US and from the UK um and by professor Gary Chu down in he's now based in New York in the UK but they um they developed this programme and so that, um, what we do is, is very much if, if it's getting to that point where people are as you say, you know, just spiralling down towards this kind of, uh, all, all these terrible things and, and experiences they've had it's all about kind of parking those things and, and, and just giving space to air them, but then saying, okay, thank you for sharing, but we're going to focus on this aspect. And, and it was, we used things like motivational interviewing techniques and other specific behaviour change theories and techniques within that session to help focus people on walking behaviour and setting goals and, and developing a plan for the future, basically.
3: How frequently do you think people need to have this face-to-face interaction, is it weekly, monthly? Do, do, you, do you guys have any idea of what that looks like yet?
4: We don't really, because in, in this study, it was actually a one-off. So it was a three-hour session, but just we only met once with the group. Oh. And then the the, the the group would go home with a TENS machine, as we've talked about before, um, and and the researchers would phone them every two weeks. To check in and see, okay, how are things going? Because they set goals for their walking behavior, and they had a pedometer to see kind of increase the, to try and increase their walking distance. Um, and so that was what we've tested at the moment. But that was one of the things that the the participants said to us at the end of the trial. We said, "Oh, we would have loved more of that. We think we should come back again. I want to keep in touch with those people I met during that session. And how could we? Eat? So that's where we're moving now. And that's a part of what Daniel's working on is. You know, how can we facilitate that? Or, and also, how do we facilitate that on a wider scale so more people can benefit from that? Yeah, I mean, what,
2: what we're doing informally um, with The Way to My Heart, which, you know, creates communities of these peripheral artery disease patients, we don't have anything formal, but it's been just this informal group. And what we find is the same thing that you guys found in your controlled study is if you have the right facilitation and moderation in there and you can get everyone focused on the same goal, it it really becomes motivational. And people in our groups online on Facebook, as well as our app, there's a peripheral artery disease app people can download or on their desktop. And people are loving to share their steps every single day, their experiences, their wins, their losses, whatever it might be. But the fact that they're taking just one more step Everyone just cheers them on and you have people that are taking one or two steps a day and you have people that are doing 10,000 a day. We even have one that has gone from literally almost zero to 25,000 hitting a huge milestone and it's that community support.
3: Yeah, and I think it's kind of interesting, too, to to look at it like, uh, and I know it's apples to oranges here, but Alcoholics Anonymous, where where folks are meeting, I think, pretty regularly, and they have a sponsor and really motivated group of people. But I also, I think that that leads to the success of, um, ab, you know, abstinence and sobriety, because you have, you're culpable, but you also have people that kind of got your back, so to speak. And and you know who to call. I'm I, obviously that's a an ex, not an extreme example, but maybe PAD patients don't need that. But PAD is not, as we know, I mean, we don't cure PAD. It it is a chronic illness, and it can be, but it can be managed though. I mean, do you guys it, it, would you envision ever creating something like that, or is that probably just a little bit too much, you know, in depth? I I do think
4: that's kind of almost what's required and what's needed or it might be I think it might be that it won't be one size fits all I think that what the what the solution might be and that's what one of my other PhD students is working on at the moment is they're doing a co-creation study so they're sitting down with people with pad but with also with healthcare professionals and their carers and, and other people to talk about well what would you like you know what would work and actually get the the people with the condition to to generate what because it might be some people will say oh no i i want to come to the gym once a week and, and exercise other people that's the worst thing i could possibly do i want to do it at home uh or in the community and other people say well i really don't like exercising with anybody else at all i want to do that bit by myself but i would like to meet people and talk and to share stories so that's what we're, i think we're going to work towards and that's probably where i see it is that it's not going to be a, just a one thing that's gonna that's gonna
5: work
2: hmm. daniel
5: i just <clears throat> i just think that um talking about sort of the frequency of the focus groups or sharing information with one another, I think uh, the app that you have, Kim, is is very useful. Um, I think it's where medicine in general is heading towards, you know, more holistic sort of approaches rather than biomedical. It's what my research was founding as well, is that it's very important to sort of look at the problem from many ways, psychologically speaking as well, and help them in in you know, in all directions, rather than just you know use medication to sort of uh, uh, help the, the pain. Um, but uh, I think uh, sort of the more the more they can share their stories, especially not just with one another, but with a clinician or an expert. I think that gives them the confidence that okay, well they're you know along the li- along the right sort of direction, and if they just push through, you know, they can achieve uh, uh, the ultimate results that they want.
2: And coming up right here on The Heart of Innovation, we'll have more with researchers, Chris and Daniel. So stay with us.
1: Welcome back to The Heart of Innovation. For more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy Award-winning journalist, Kim McNicholas, and interventional cardiologist, Dr. John Phillips.
3: Welcome back, everybody. We are uh, coming up in the hour here, but uh, we've got another question from Douglas regarding alternative means of exercise.
6: Douglas. So my question, on those days that I can't walk, what about bicycle, stationary bicycles? What about swimming on a regular basis? uh the hand bicycles what are other exercises that i can use to grow collaterals
2: it's a good point because a lot of our patients also have wounds on their toes and they can't get up and walk they're told not to walk so they need something else and know that they're they're making a difference chris
4: yeah great great question and it's not something we've looked into specifically, but I do know there is quite a bit of work out there into this, certainly from my understanding is is any exercise is good exercise and you know so the and one of the key on on top of kind of helping work walk, walk further the key aspect of exercise is that cardiovascular prevention that's stopping you progressing to having other major cardiovascular events so anything that raises the heart rate anything that kind of uh, improves kind of um you know the cardiovascular um, system then that's exactly what we're doing. so yes arm crank exercises leg um stationary bike rowing cycling and um, swimming as you mentioned i think will work really well
2: because i i can only imagine i mean you have the human superhighway right and if you are even moving your arms and you're raising that blood pressure the blood goes through the body right all the way through so and it needs to to pump through quickly to get back and and continue to fuel it so i would imagine it's doing something it may not be as beneficial to the legs right it, but- it is
3: but but um like they say in the gym you can't can't skip leg day um, so <laughs> yeah. you you've gotta you, you, yeah and i tell my patients if they can't walk um then yeah a stationary bike that the, the the foot cranks that 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 work too uh i always say hey yeah you can do aerobic water aerobics but aerobic activity but that's hard for a lot of folks but i think there are ways to to get the legs moving and, and build muscle mass and ultimately help uh, improve walking distance or reduction in pain with uh, claudication.
2: And Maria's asking about walking in water. Does that do the same as walking on land?
4: I mean, it makes sense, as, as John was saying there, you know, if you can get those muscles within the legs working then you're going to re- uh, be asking the body to be pumping blood down through those vessels then it should help and um, i think that's that aspect of because a lot of the benefit of it walking exercise is that task specific training it's like you're practicing walking so you're going to get better at walking and you will walk further and um, so you know and that, that that would work too i'm sure
2: fantastic we have about a minute left um any final thoughts final takeaways that you want patients to have you know from your research, and from this show. We'll let you go first, Chris, and then we'll turn to Daniel.
4: Great. Thank you. Yeah, no, thank you so much for having me on. This has been a really interesting conversation. The main takeaway for me is that aspect of, of learning more about the condition and not being frightened of the condition and reducing the fear. So, um, you know, uh, speak to other people, reach out to other people with the condition and, and, and talk and share your stories.
2: Daniel?
5: Uh, for me, uh, again, thank you so much for having me on on the show. Um, for me, uh, the take home message that I could recommend for patients is just having the belief that you can get better and you you're not going to regress to the amputation stage um, because you can do something about it, and we are all here to help you, and that's why we have those apps and websites, and uh, just have like this holistic sort of viewpoint where you're free to share anything you want and. And and you can work on your mental and physical uh, well being as well.
2: Thank you, and well John. That, yeah, <laughs> that's that's exactly the whole key with PAD, right, John? Is really letting people know that it is something that you can do something about, especially yep. if you catch dinner.
3: It does not. Uh, it does not control you. It's just maybe a
1: part of you.
2: Thanks, everyone, for listening to The Heart of Innovation. We hope you have a fantastic weekend and a great week ahead. We'll see you next Saturday.
1: You've been listening to The Heart of Innovation with Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips.